Hey, so we are in the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, we're actually on the downward slide, um, right? It seems like we've been here a long time, but um, it's a good book. I hope you all have enjoyed it and you've learned a lot. Um, you've probably heard a lot of things over and over again, and that's because Kohelet, the author, writes, the, the teacher, he pretty well repeats himself a lot, which we're going to talk about tonight. Um, he does that very intentionally, too. So what you hear tonight, most of it's probably not going to be new. You've probably heard it in chapters previously. So if this is your first time, guess what? Good for you, because it's all going to be new to you. But for those of you who um, have been here, you're going to hear some things over again. So we're going to start in chapter 8. Um, again, just remember, Kohelet's really trying to figure out what it is in this world that we do all this work for. Why do we toil? Why do we work days and days under the sun? What is our gain from all of this? So, so we're going to dive in on chapter 8 and see what it is that we have to gain from this world. And it reads as so, chapter one, or chapter 8, verse 1. Who is like the wise man? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? Wisdom makes one's face shine, and the hardness of one's countenance is changed. Keep, keep the king's command because of your sacred oath. Do not be terrified. Go from his presence. Do not delay when the matter is unpleasant. For he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is powerful. And who can say to him, What are you doing? Whoever obeys a command will meet no harm, and the wise mind will know the time and the way. For every matter has its time and way, although the troubles of mortals lie heavy upon them. Indeed, they do not know what is to be, for who can tell them how it will be? No one has power over the wind, to restrain the wind or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from the battle, nor does wickedness deliver those who practice it. All this I observed, applying my mind to all that is done under the sun, while one person exercises authority over another to the other's hurt. Verse 10, Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the human heart is fully set to do evil. Though sinners do evil a hundred times and prolong their lives, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, because they stand in fear before Him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will they prolong their days like a shadow, because they do not stand in fear before God. And yet there's a vanity that takes place on earth that there are righteous people who are treated according to the conduct of the wicked, and there are wicked people who are treated according to the conduct of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. It's so I commend enjoyment, for there is nothing better for people under the sun than to eat and drink and enjoy themselves. For this will go with them into their toil through the days of life that God gives them under the sun. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how one's eyes see sleep neither day nor night, then I saw all the work of God, that no one can find out what is happening under the sun. However much they toil, in seeking they will not find it out. Even though those who are wise claim to know, they cannot find it out. Who is like the wise man? Who is this king of glory, right? I'm just saying that. Who is like the wise man? Again, this is wisdom literature. The wise man 
versus the fool, right? We've continually talked about this. Well, who is like him? And who, who knows the interpretation of a thing? Uncle Hill is going to tell you. You can tell who's wise simply by looking at one's face because it'll have a glow. It'll shine. And the hardness, well, that'll change as well. A wise person, you will know them because they'll be glowing. They won't be hard at heart. They won't, they'll be, have a changed presence. <clears throat> so in case you were wondering, that's how you pick somebody out. Look who's glowing. Keep the king's command because of your sacred oath. Do not be terrified. Go from his presence. Do not delay when the matter is unpleasant. For he does what he pleases. For the word of the king is powerful. And who can say to him, what are you doing? I love this, right? I've never been in the presence of a king. But if I was in the presence of a king, I would know my place. He's the king. I'm not the king. So as a subject of the king, I would know that he has authority. He has power, right? He has power over me. Therefore, when the king is unpleasant or unhappy, it's time to go. Why? Because the king does what he wants. So if he's going to throw something and I'm in the way, the king's going to do that. If he decides he wants to kill somebody, he might do that as well. The wise one will know how to read the king and know when to come and go. These are examples of wisdom. Why he uses a king reference? Why not, right? He's not, we're, we're, not, we're not assuming that he's talking about any specific king, but these are just things that a wise person will do. Oh, and you can't say, King, what are you doing? Because guess what? Right? It's a poor choice. King has power over you. <clears throat> Going on, verse 5. Whoever obeys a command will meet no harm, and the wise mind will know the time and the way. For every matter has its time and way, although the troubles of mortals lie heavy upon them. Whoever obeys a command will meet no harm. Well, this sounds pretty familiar to like what we've learned before, right? The idea of in Deuteronomy and stuff that like, you do good, you get good. We're going to continue to hear this. We've heard this, heard this over and over again. And when I was reading this, I kind of read it as an if-then statement. Or if-then, 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 right? Then, yeah. If you obey a command, then you will meet no harm. Likewise, if you have a wise mind, then you will know the time and the way. Well, what time and what way? Well, for every matter, it has its time and its way. You remember chapter 3? Wasn't chapter 3 where it was, there's a season to everything? He's kind of saying there's a reason of things happen the way they do. So if you're wise, you'll examine that and you'll understand it. This is too easily confused with the idea that like everything happens for a reason. I don't want to jump that boat. He's saying that, just like in chapter 3, there's a season for everything that happens. And if you're wise, you'll know that. But the problem is, it weighs heavy on us mortals. And why is that? Well, because when we look around, we see a lot of evil things. We see a lot of suffering. We have to endure a lot of pain. And so because of that, it weighs very heavy on us. There may be a season for it, but it doesn't make it any easier when we have to endure it. And so here in, chapter, here in verse 7, this is kind of a key phrase. Indeed, they do not know what is to be, for who can tell them how it will be? He's talked about this multiple times. We can't tell the future, right? We have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. 
People get paid tons of money to be meteorologists, and they get it wrong all the time. Right? I know, it's a big shocker, right? We have no idea. This is kind of the culminating question of what's, what is all this for? Because we can't know what's going to happen. And not only in like the future that we experience here under the sun, but he's kind of alluded to this idea of well, what even happens after you die? And we're going we're gonna to continue to progress into there. Verse 8. No one has power over the wind. Here we are with power again. No one has power over the wind to restrain the wind or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from the battle, nor does wickedness deliver those who practice it. You have no... There's so many things you have no power over. You can't control them. They're kind of... They're often chalked up to it's kind of God's way and you just got to deal with it. And that's tough because as people, we like power. We want to be able to control the wind. Right? If we control the wind, we'd save a lot of people's lives. Of course, if we control the wind, we might kill a lot of people too, right? And that's a danger in power. We can't control it whenever death is going to come. We can't control how battles change, outcome of battles. And even though we try to use wickedness sometimes to deliver us, wickedness is even going to be able to make you have power over these things. And so all this I, Kohelet, observed, applying my mind, right? This is what he's been doing throughout. He's been applying his mind to all these things. Checking them out, investigating them, examining them. And all it is done under the sun, while one person exercises authority over another, to others hurt. So it's not bad, like it's bad enough that we have no control over like things like the wind. We also have no control over somebody like a king who can be cruel and unjust, right? Sometimes they use their power for the hurt of others. So here we are, feeling powerless, looking around at all the bad things that go on and just feeling powerless. Oh, but don't worry. It gets better. There's even more problems. Verse 10. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. Well, that's just ridiculous, right? They've been doing evil all this time in the city, going in and out of the holy place like they're just all this perfect person, and yet all they do is continue to do evil. And yet, now there's a public burial for them, and they're being praised at their, the public burial. Well, that's just vanity. You've experienced this, right? You've gone to funerals where you're like, oh my gosh, he was kind of a jerk. But whenever it's a funeral, all we do is just like talk about the kindest things of the person, right? You've been there. You know. you never been to a funeral like that? Unless you really like them. You discriminate against people you don't like, huh? It's all emotional. There's no purpose. It's just emotional and crying. It's, it's all vanity. What the heck? Okay. Well, then this doesn't apply to you. <laughs> you can disregard what he just said. <laughs> we continue. Because sentence against evil deed is not executed speedily, the human heart is fully set to do evil. Those sinners do evil a hundred times and prolong their lives. Evil's the problem. People continually do evil, and yet they're not punished for it, right? It's not, it doesn't happen quickly that they, justice is not served quickly enough. And so when people see that people, other people do evil, and that justice isn't served very quickly, well, that encourages them to do evil as well. 
It puts evil in their heart. Because, hey, I'm not going to get in trouble for this. Or maybe it will happen way down the future, but it's not going to happen now. And it, in fact, it even seems that when sinners do evil a hundred times, it seems like it prolongs their life. Like, right? You know the people, like, they just do evil and do evil and do evil, and they just live forever. That's not fair. Well, here's a solution. I know that it will be well with those who fear God. Why? Because they stand in fear before him. It's kind of a cyclical argument, right? I read this and I was like, that's not really that much of a solution. It will be well with those who fear God. Why? Because they stand in fear before him. Well, that doesn't tell me a whole lot. As long as we just fear God, we'll be okay because we stand in fear before him. Hmm, okay, well, alternatively, it will not be well with the wicked, neither will they prolong their days like a shadow, because they do not stand in fear before God. Okay, this is pretty much back to the traditional view, right? Fear God, do good, get good, do bad, get bad. Fear God, you're in the right place. Do wicked, not fear God, you're in the wrong place. We're back to the traditional view. Ah, but here we have a problem again in verse 14. For there is a vanity... Or meaningless, right? There is a balance, an enigma that takes place on earth. That there are righteous people who are treated according to the conduct of the wicked. And there are wicked people who are treated according to the conduct of the righteous. And again I say, this too is vanity. You read that and you think, that doesn't really sound like balance, right? We were going with the idea that vanity is balanced. That doesn't sound very balanced. It doesn't even sound very temporary. If we want to use temporary vapor, right? Okay, well then what's the solution? I love this. This is this is kind of the climactic verse for, for not only chapter 8, but for kind of like chapter 6 through 8. Uh, and it's kind of, we've heard it before, but he continues to come back to this. And this is the last time he's going to come back and say this in, in, in Ecclesiastes. But he says, verse 15, So I commend enjoyment. What? We just talked about how the evil get wicked treatment and the wicked get treatment of the good people. And yet, you commend enjoyment? For there's nothing better for people under the sun than to eat and drink and enjoy themselves. Eat and drink and enjoy themselves. Sounds fun, right? Go get crazy. He's not proponing, like he's not a proponent of hedonism here. He's not just saying go crazy. Eating and drinking are the things that sustain life, right? You stop eating and drinking, this whole death that he's been talking about, you're going to find that a lot quicker. But not only eat and drink, but enjoy also. For this will go with them in their toil, in their work, through the days of life that God gives them under the sun. Don't overlook that, that God gives them. Why do we eat, drink, and enjoy? Because it's a gift. And that's the difference between the wise and the fool. The wise recognize that. We talked about this last week, I think it was, or two weeks ago. It's a gift. And so he rounds it out here. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth. Business, right? The business. The business that is done on earth. The problem with the business that is done on earth, as we've seen, a lot of times there's just a lot of un- injustice. There's a lot of oppression. So he's looked at all this, he's examined all of it, he applied his mind to know wisdom, 
and to see all these good and bad things that have happened on earth. And this next, this next phrase is kind of a problem. How one's eyes see sleep neither day or night. When you read that, you're like, if your eyes don't see sleep, I guess he couldn't sleep, right? He needed, what's the pill you take for sleeping problems? You need something like that, right? Start a sleeping pill. Yeah, thanks for that clarification. He can't sleep. That's what it sounds like. The other idea is that he's examined all this. He sees the business that's done on earth, all this good, all this bad. And yet by day and night, his eyes are full of sleep. He's blinded. He's not seeing clearly what's happening. He's examined it all, but it's just still not making sense. It's not clear. And to make it even worse, I saw all the work of God. Well, in that, no one can find out what is happening under the sun. It's even harder to find out. In fact, however much they toil in seeking it, they will not find it out. Even though those who are wise claim to know, they cannot truly find it out. I mean, he's so sticking to this point. He says it three times. I saw all the work of God. No one can find it out. However much they toil seeking it, they will not find it out. Even though those who are wise and claim they know it, they cannot find it out. Did you get the point? Did he drive it home hard enough? They may claim they know it. Don't trust those people. So who is like the wise man, as we saw in verse 1? The wise man is the one who knows the gift, recognizes the gift of life. The fool takes it for granted. And all this yatron, this gain we've been looking for this entire time, well, maybe, maybe this is what the gain is. And it's not quite what he expected the gain to be. But he's finding a little bit of, a little bit of gain, maybe. A couple chapters ago, we talked about portion, right? This is your portion in life. Portion is not quite your gain, but it's your portion, which we're going to see here in a second as well. So maybe there's a little bit of Yatron that we find here, even on this earth. I'm going to go ahead and go into to chapter 9, because my goal is to be done with Ecclesiastes two weeks from tonight. I know, two more, two more weeks after tonight, and then we'll be done. Um, and then on the 15th of November, we're going to have a night of worship again. So that's our goal. So I'm going to go ahead and get through part of chapter 9. Um, we'll see how far we make it. Chapter 9, you're going to hear this, and you're going to go, oh my gosh, I've heard this over and over again. Right, that's his point. You need to hear it again. So here we go. Nine one. All this I laid to heart, examining it, it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, one does not know. Everything that confronts them is vanity, since the same fate comes to all, to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to those who sacrifice and those who do not sacrifice. As are the good, so are the sinners. Those who swear are like those who shun an oath. Excuse me. This is an evil in all that happens under the sun, that the same fate comes to everyone. Moreover, the heart of all are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that, they go to the dead. But whoever is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. The living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. 
they have no reward, or no more reward. And even the memory of them is lost. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. Never again will they have any share in all that happens under the sun. For go and eat bread with enjoyment, and drink your wine with merry heart. For God has long ago approved what you do. Let your garments always be white. Do not let oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with your wife, wife whom you love, all the days of your vain life that are given under the sun, because that is the portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to the skillful, but time and chance will they happen to all of them. For no one can anticipate the time of disaster, like fish taken in a cruel net, and like birds caught in a snare. So mortals are snared at a time of calamity, when it suddenly falls upon them. We're going to stop there. I think that it gives us enough to fill up our last few minutes here. It all should sound pretty familiar, right? It's pretty similar to, to chapter 3 and a little bit of chapter 4 as well. Why would he repeat things? Repeats it over and over again. It's funny, I actually, one of y'all just sent me an article today, right before this, talking about how if you don't take notes, you forget 95% of what you hear. And I don't see anybody taking notes. Mm-hmm. Oh, and good job. Um, and he was like, we should really maybe practice this at shift and then maybe to like carry over to like Cornerstone or like the sanctuary or something. And I was like, yeah, okay. Good luck with that. We'll see if anyone will actually take note. Similarly though, right, if you don't like go afterwards and talk about it, just in one ear and out the other. It's amazing how just a few words right after just reminding yourself of what you just heard helps it stick in. That's what he's doing here. He repeats himself over and over again because he knows that we forget. And no one's going to deny that, right? We forget. You may think, oh my gosh, why are we hearing the same thing again? And yet, how many times do we need to hear the gospel over and over again? Because we forget. So here we go. All this I laid to heart. He takes this stuff so seriously. He's investigating it to the core. Examining it all. How the righteous and the wise, synonyms, same things. Oh, and their deeds. Well, those things are in the hand of God. God's got all that right here. Yet whether it is love or hate, one does not know. Well, if it's in God's hand, wouldn't you assume that's love? God is love, right? Like, But that's what you'd assume. But yet I look around and I keep seeing oppression. And I see injustice and it just doesn't make sense. So I'm not really sure whether it's love or hate. Yet everything that confronts them is vanity. Since the same fate comes to all. And this is what just really ticks him off. Drives him crazy. Good or bad, doesn't matter. The same fate comes to all. To the righteous and the wicked. To the good and the evil. To the clean and the unclean. To those who sacrifice and those who do not sacrifice. As are the good, so are the sinners. Those who swear are like those who shun an oath. In fact, this is so bad, this is actually evil. And all that happens under the sun. But the same fate comes to everyone. Evil. Ra. Remember Ra? Ra. 
We're back to raw again. We found evil again. This is evil. It's not fair. And it gets worse. Because moreover, their hearts are full of evil. It's so bad that now even their hearts are full of evil. It's madness in their hearts while they live. And after that, what happens? Well, they go to the dead. You live a life full of evil evil hearts. Hearts full of evil. Why are they evil? Because life's hard. And we experience evil things. And when we experience evil things, it weighs on us, right? We just read that. And it weighs so much, well, that seeps into your heart. This isn't a justification for original sin. Remember, original sin wasn't a doctrine at this point. It wasn't even, like, thought of. This is just saying, like, based on the experiences people feel in their lives and they go through, well, that really gets to people. And it makes their hearts mad. makes them evil. And after a life of evil in their hearts, death. And what is that? Well, that's vanity. That's balance. Again, that doesn't really sound balanced, right? We've kind of shifted a little bit from this idea of balance. And then he drops a bombshell. Whoever is joined with all the living has hope. This word hope. It's only found three times in the Old Testament. Three times. We talk about it all the time in the New Testament. Only three times in the Old Testament. Whoever is joined with the living, they have hope. In fact, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. Right? Dog. Everyone gets excited. What do you think when you think of a lion? What? Roar? Roar? Evil? No, I'm just kidding. Roar. Roar. King, right? King of the jungle. Who thinks of the Lion King? Yeah, right? King of the jungle. Like, and yet, a dead lion doesn't do much good for the king of the jungle, right? Dead lions don't have a lot of kingdom to represent. And what about dogs, right? We look at dogs and we're like, we love dogs. Man's best friend. We're all, we're all dogs. Look, look, we, all dogs. Oh, those are my dogs. Aren't they cute? That's Lola and that's Pete. Yes, Pete is drooling because that's all he does. But look at them, right? They're in the back of our car on a blanket. They have their own blanket. Like, we think of these cuddly bear, like, just, oh, they're so sweet. These aren't what they thought of when they thought of dogs back then. You want to guess what they thought of? That's a, well, it's a little distorted. You ever, if you've ever been to a developing nation, a.k.a. third world country, you've, you've seen these dogs, right? The ones that just look like so scroungy and scavengers and... That's the dogs he's talking about. Not the ones that live in our houses and run our houses. Right, Steffi? Right. The dogs that are scavenging and like eating dead bodies after battles. Because what else are they going to eat? Because you can barely afford to feed your family, so you're not going to feed the dog. And yet, a living dog is better than a dead lion. Why is a living dog better than a dead lion? Well, the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no more reward, and even the memory of them is lost. Right? This is, I think, back to chapter 1 as well. You die, and you're forgotten. Not only do you die, but your memory's good. memory of you dies as well. Not only do you die, but the love and, and the hate that you represented, the envy, well, that's already perished as well. 
those who are dead, never again will they have any share in all that happens under the sun. Why is it better to be living than dead? Because we know what it's like to be living. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say no one here knows what it's like to be dead. Right? We have hope as living people. And hope here isn't like, hey, I hope you're going to come to the bridge walk tomorrow with like this idea of uncertainty. Hope in this case is certainty. Like certain hope. Unfortunately, what is their certain hope? They're going to die. And I, I say unfortunately, right? Is it unfortunate? Because everyone's going to die, right? There's a really important statement that I heard that I think really applies here. I'm going to read it to you, and I want to let it just soak for a second. There's a difference between the things that happen to you in your life and the fact that you are living. There's a difference between the things that happen to you in your life and the fact that you are living. Why do living have an advantage? over the dead so they can contemplate their own death that's what it seems like right it seems really pretty much doom and gloom and yet your life is not just made up of the things that happen to you I think that's the distinguishing factor in that statement to people who, who are dying who say like I had a horrible life or people who say I had a great life that's an evaluation of the like events that happen to them typically. But as a matter of fact, you were dust. You were nothing but dust. And then you were created. That's miraculous in and of itself. Your life is not the same as the things that happen to you. Right? These are the thoughts of the wise. You're going to die. But fools take for granted living. And I think, I'm going to continue, but I think he goes on in the next few verses here, just overemphasizing this. Saying, you're going to die, so here's what you got to do while you're here. you got to enjoy it. So seven, go and eat your bread with enjoyment, and drink your wine with merry heart. For God has long ago approved what you do. Enjoy it. Let your garments always be white. Do not let oil be lacking on your head. White's the color of, like, celebration. And oil is something that is used in celebrations. Enjoy it. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. All the days of your vain life. It may be vain, but enjoy it. All those days that are given to you under the sun, because that is your portion in life. It's what you've been given. It's a gift. It's your portion in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol. And that's where you're going. Seems miserable now. 
you better start making good of it because where you're going, it's not there. Sheol being the place of the dead, right? Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread of the wise, nor rich to the intelligent, nor favor to the skillful, but time and chance happen to them all. You can't get away from it. Sometimes, well, I just thought of Forrest Gump, right? When he's running and he steps in the huge pile of, it happens. You can't get away from it. And you can't even anticipate it. No one can anticipate the time of disaster. You're like a fish swimming and all of a sudden a net grabs you or a bird caught in a snare. So mortals are snared at a time of calamity when it suddenly falls upon them. Kohelet's view is kind of a modernist view. Why is life better? Well, because we, we've seen life. We know life. It's got its downs, but it's got its ups too. So we can like, we can express that because we can put tangible, like we know we've experienced it. But death though, we have no idea what that's like. We may not know the future, but again, just like he said, there's nothing new under the sun. So you want to know what's going to happen in the future? We'll just look in the past because it's going to be pretty similar because there's nothing new under the sun. But when you die, well, well, I don't know. I can't, I've never had that experience. So it kind of takes a little bit of a modernist approach to it. And yet he's kind of intrigued by this idea of death. Because again, he's just so frustrated by injustice that he sees in this world. That he's got to think that if justice isn't served here, somehow it's served after. And again, he's talking about Sheol, right? The land of the dead. Like, there's no hellfire and brimstone either. Nor are there like, I don't, I don't, I'm going to go out on a limb. I haven't really researched this, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say, within the author of Ecclesiastes, he had no idea of this celestial heavens of like floating angels and clouds and stuff like that either. You can't test it. You don't know what's going to happen when you die. He kind of alludes at this idea that what you live now, maybe it kind of carries over. So you better like get it right now. Because if you don't get it right now, how do you expect to just flip it and change it when you're dead? And this is kind of me reading into the text a little bit. Like he doesn't flat out say like if you live good now, then you're going to get good when you die. But again, just like I can't tell you flat out, neither can he. He's just trying to make sense of it in his mind. But to him, the gain, the yatron, your portion comes when you focus on the gift of life. And that's a pretty good place to stop, right? Like, you got to be pretty happy whenever you... You can grab wisdom like this and say, yeah, I've got to enjoy this day because I was nothing but dust and now I'm living and breathing and moving and I could do a little jig if I wanted to do a little jig. Like, 
But we have the ability to kind of go beyond Ecclesiastes, right? Ray, do you have that Romans verse? <laughs> in, in Romans, Paul says this, and this is, the, this is the beauty of us thousands of years later, right? We believe in something a little bit more than just, we still can't guarantee based on experience what happens when you die. But we have this really cool saying from Paul in Romans 6, verses 4 and 5. Therefore we have been buried with him, being Jesus, by baptism into death. Buried. Death. Again, right? So that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We have this idea of resurrection. To Kohelet, death is it. That's the fate of everybody. But according to Paul here, death's not the last word. As a matter of fact, Jesus defeated death, right? And that, my friends, is good news. that we too often forget, which is why we need to be reminded over and over and over. So come back next week to be reminded one more time all of the evil that is in the world and that we're all going to die. And yet in the end, there's still good news. Let's pray. God, you have created us. And that in and of itself, well, that we're just thankful for. It's just fantastic. We're fans that you created us. And we recognize that as your created beings, death is our fate. That's our future. And may that be ever-present in our minds, reminding us that life is indeed a gift and a gift that should be enjoyed. God, we pray that we would live lives, live abundant lives, just as Jesus came and told us about. That we would imitate Him. That we would live lives that He showed us we could live. That we should live. We thank You that, that You, God, came to dwell among us revealing Yourself to us. We pray that that would inspire us to enjoy this gift that we have of life, to not take it for granted. We thank You that Your Spirit continues to dwell among us, sustaining us and empowering us to do that very thing, to live like Jesus. Now, God, May we leave this place with the confidence of resurrected people. Confident that Jesus has indeed defeated death. And may we also not take death for granted. We pray these things this evening. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.